Father Yahweh, bless your word, the reading and sharing of your scriptures, Father God, it's truth, knowledge, and wisdom for those who would have an ear to let them hear. Bless them, Father God. Draw those that are questioning and unsure toward you. Bring them to you and have them hear the word and have them be comforted in all things that are going on and strength and courage and uprightness, Father God. So yet, I'm going to share in perspective as all things are of dealing with perspective. And there's some verses that I'm going to share with you and um, I think that are important to hear and understand that Perspective is an important aspect, especially in the Word of God and walk of faith. It's important to know, too, that one of the most important aspects of perspective is dealing with the white noise of Satan and his minions. And that his perception of us is just a trophy to be taken away from spending eternity with the Lord God and our loved ones. His determination is pretty powerful. You have to realize Satan was at one time walking in heaven, living in heaven, and he was... He was the worship leader of heaven. He could make music without instrumentation. He could change the he could change the wind to make it musical. And then he became lustful, envious, and he wanted to be as God. I actually proposed this. And of course, God said, no, that's not going to happen. Well, Satan was cast out of heaven. And remember Jesus' line, remember that always. I saw Satan fall like lightning. And along with those whom he convinced that he was as God. Perspective that many falsely view and sadly call themselves Christians. They take that label tape, slap it on the forehead. I'm a Christian. Oh, but I fear Satan because he's as powerful as God. He's his God. He knows everything I'm doing. And what happens if he comes and his minions don't come? Well, first of all, let me enlighten you in this. That um, you are not actually as important as you think you are. Your perspective of your position is much higher than what it really is. Does that sound hurtful? Well, that's kind of too bad because it's the truth. And that's unfortunate. Remember this. I'm sharing with you truth knowledge and wisdom that is of the word of God. This is not just stuff I'm making up. You're not as important to Satan as you might think that you are. And he is not going to come after you. He's going to send his minions after you continually. And it just seems like they're going to pester you to no end, but there will be an end. And you have to have faith. So here's the thing. That we have to know and understand that we are in authority over him. And we have that. And I'll go back over here where I got to go back. 
sorry, didn't mark that one. I wasn't going to go back there. But I think it's worth a revisit and a redo because there are many Christians that don't follow this and they don't get it. Jesus gave us authority. Not only authority over snakes and scorpions, and here it is again in Luke 10. And we're actually, it's kind of important that we go over here to Luke 10, verse 17, because Jesus had sent out disciples and others that went out and they were healing and everything. And when they came back and verse 17, Luke 10, 17, and the 70 returned again with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Ah, this is key, this is important, and this is perspective. In their perspective, even the devils are subject to us using your name. No, they're subject to the authority of Jesus that you are allowed to utter and you are allowed to speak. (coughs) And that's because he chose you to do so. That is what they're subject to. They're not subject to us. It's not us. It is the authority and power that the Lord has given and bestowed graciously to us, incidentally. Further, and he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you a power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and some of you might know, not realize and know, and I've shared with you before, those that were listening, some newbies that are along and haven't heard this before. When certain things are spoken of in the Bible, it's metaphor and analogy. There's a lot of that through the Bible, especially because this is not the same day and age. It is a different era, but they apply still. Why? Because our Lord God is the first and the last, the Alpha, the Omega, the author and the finisher. And this is his word and his truth. And the truth is that the word was with God from the beginning. And the word was God. And the word became flesh. And that flesh was our Lord coming to sacrifice as a lamb on an altar. And he was placed on the cross While we were still at enmity with God and not deciding, he graciously sacrificed. And Jesus, in the guise of his only begotten son, coming to this place, this place that we exist on, this plane of existence, came for us. Understand this completely understand this and drive this into your memory and your hearts. He could have called 10,000 angels, would have destroyed all of Judea and Jerusalem, destroyed the world and set him free. But instead, he died on that Calvary's tree on Golgotha, the place of the skull. And he did so for our sake out of grace and love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And there are many, many, many that don't get that. Wait a minute. Further reading before I get too carried away. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions. That's Bible analogy and metaphors for demons. Demons are called many things in the word of God. Chaldeans were a people that was, as a nation, destroyed. Utterly destroyed. No more 
did they exist as a nation. They existed only as a few. At one time, they were a very powerful and probably the epitome of guerrilla warriors. They would lie and wait and ambush and for days until their target was known and taken. Their archers were renowned, long distance, long shooters and accurate. <coughs> Pardon me. But here's the thing. The term for Satan's minions and some of his more powerful demons, they call them Chaldeans. There are many that use that, and it's used in the Bible. It's not as much as lions and wolves, serpents and scorpions, but it is used. Here's my my perspective or my take. Doesn't mean it's truth, but enough reading through the scriptures that it points that direction. And the Holy Spirit allows me to share it, so it must be truth. Chaldeans are the more powerful demons, and probably because of their prowess they had while they were and it's used for those that fell with Satan because they took his word over the word of God. They are indeed powerful, but we have no fear. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all, let me say that again, over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Interesting. So Satan loves to camouflage and he loves to get people's perspective changed. And there are many Christians that do so. Oh, if you talk about the devil, then you're just glorifying him. You're giving him attention and you're not no 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 it's emphasizing that the enemy is real the enemy is powerful and the enemy will change and thwart your warp your mindset you don't focus on him you focus on the lord god almighty for he has created all things and by him all things were created and they consist because the hand of the Lord, because God is God. And it's very important that we remember that he is not as God. He does not know everything. He does not see everything. He's not always present. And he's not capable of being everywhere at once. Why do you suppose that Satan has, now this is just some logic I'm throwing at you, but it's biblical logic. Why do you suppose that Satan has his minions? He has his minions because they spy on us. He has his minions because they report back to him of what our actions are. And then he may have a decision to come and oversee. But rarely, if ever, will Satan come against you personally. Why is that? Because you're not so important. The one time that we read of in the scripture that he appeared was whenever it was dealing with the Lord's crucifixion. He appeared. And he came to tempt Jesus. Why? Because Satan knew the authority that he carried in his bosom. And he knew who Jesus is. He knew who Jesus is. And I say that kind of mixing the tenses and the time frame because Jesus was a man walked on this plane of existence, but he is the Lord of Lords and he is the King of Kings and my faith tells me that he is going to greet me when I get home. 
and I'm not home. Billy Graham's perspective is awesome. And it's the same perspective that I try to hold on to all the time. My home is in heaven. I'm just traveling through this world. Dr. Billy Graham. You know what? Here's the thing. Interesting, and I just realized this. Nowhere ever that I've seen written down does it use an honorific for Billy Graham. I don't know that he had a doctorate. I'm sure he was he a very educated man and went through, but I'm not sure if he had a doctorate. But that doesn't matter. Because you see, as I've shared with you before, in a matter of perspective, that there are so many people that use that because it seems to vaunt a person's worth. Remember this, I shared with you already, that your worth to Satan is not much because he doesn't find you authoritative. He found Jesus authoritative because he knew that he was dealing with the Lord. So he came himself personally in order to try to thwart Jesus' way and the plan, the plan of God, by tempting Jesus. Let's look at it. Let's change our perspective a little bit. Remember, perspective is a, a sight thing. So if you're on a lookout mountain and you're facing northeast and then you move a little bit, a few degrees to the northwest, you're only seeing part of what you were looking at and now you have a different view. And now you move a few more degrees to the west and you have yet a different perspective on what you were looking at. And that that you did see before is possibly, unless you have really good peripheral vision, is completely gone. And now you're looking at something totally new. Okay, that's, that's perspective, line of sight. Let's change perspective a little bit. If our Lord had succumbed to either one of those three temptations that Satan put before him, of course, that wouldn't have happened because he was before God and God's word, he was talking to him. But let's just suppose, as a matter of perspective alteration, that Jesus did succumb to one of the temptations. <clears throat> and he went up on that top of the temple. And he looked at all those things. And he could see as far as he could see. There was nothing obstructing them. He could see to the end of the horizon. In all directions. And he said, yeah, okay, I'll make that deal. Where would you be right now? I'll tell you this right now, that it would be non-existent because there wouldn't have been the crucifixion. There wouldn't be the grace of God. There would be matter of darkness everywhere. But the Son of God, the Word of God that was made flesh came out of grace. You have to understand this too. Let's, let's get this and make sure that this is not just um, this is not just something that uh, is thrown. Okay? Your labors and your good works do not save you and do not get you saved and do not get you in the gates of heaven. That's in the scripture and it's truth and it's worth knowing, worth remembering. Keep it there. It is grace that saves you. It is grace of God 
and the fact that Jesus, the Word of God, came voluntarily, came and gave his life while we were still at enmity with the Lord. We hadn't decided. We were still wandering in in our doubts and mutterings and white noise interference of Satan to keep you from making that decision, which is exactly what he's doing with those of you out there that are listening and unsure. He wants you to be dazed and confused. Kind of a comedic movie that I think was was made called Dazed and Confused. But the thing about that is they tried to make the use of all the illicit drugs and pot and everything. He tried to make it funny because these guys were like, oh man, what's that supposed to mean? They were constantly dazed and confused because they weren't hearing any truth. They weren't hearing knowledge and wisdom. They were just dazed and confused. This is where Satan wants to keep us dazed and confused. Dazed and confused. And he wants to keep us anxious. He wants to keep us upset about everything that goes on around us. But you have to remember that the Lord God gave us authority over him and his minions. And when Jesus Christ tells the disciples that we have dominion and we have authority over serpents and scorpions and even the enemy himself, the power of the enemy, he's talking about Satan. He's talking about Satan. Satan is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He's not omnipresent. He's not always around. And he's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. In fact, he's not really actually very powerful at all. Here's the thing about Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub, whatever you want to call him, however you call him, but this is factual. He had attributes some he has still he has the ability to camouflage and change many things and he will take gifts of God and he will change them alter the perspective to enhance his way and his means but he uses this not as a power against any one person. He disguised it. And this is what he uses with the Christians that don't want to hear about him and don't want to know their enemy. They just want to walk blindly out there in a field of battle and just look around and be dazed and confused. And they're actually walking in this field that we are in because it, it is declared in the word of God that we are in a spiritual warfare but because you do not see the enemy as he exists, it's too frightening. And God protects us from that sight. It would be too frightening. And honestly, I'm telling you right now, there are, it might even be frightening to me, but because I've been in places that none of you have ever been before, which is why I speak the way I do, you probably would surrender quite readily. Because, truth be told, you don't have what it takes. You give in and you cave. You fall to the white noise interference. Just like those individuals that claiming to be Christians don't want to hear about the enemy. In their perspective, talking about the enemy gives him authority and gives him glory and glorifies him and doesn't glorify God. Well, that's poppycock. It doesn't give him authority and it doesn't glorify him. It shares with others that the enemy is real. The realization is that the enemy is not some cartoon character that's made up that runs around with a little cape on and has a pointed tail and a pitchfork and poof, he appears on your shoulder when he wants to and talks in one ear. And then the angel, poof, appears on the other shoulder and he talks in the other ear. They used to do that in cartoons all the time. I remember that when I was a small child. And that's exactly what it is, a cartoon. It is a caricature of Satan, which is something that it is that he is not. He is not a caricature. He is a real enemy. Peter describes him as a lion in the bush. 
that goes around roaring. That's part of the interference and part of the camouflage is that he's very powerful and he's frightening. And he is frightening. I'm not going to detract from that. He is frightening. But we have been giving been given by our Lord God authority. We have been given that authority. You just have to hold on to it. And I'll be honest with you here. I forget at times, but I do not, I do not succumb to what he attempts to do to me afterwards. And you have to understand that what that is and tries to get our perspective of ourselves and that perspective would be that we are not worthy, God will not listen and you, what is the point of going to the Bible, what's the point in praying? God is going to turn a deaf ear because you did this, you did that, and you did this. Are you going to believe the lies or are you going to believe the truth? The lies of the enemy will convince you to turn your perspective enough degrees away from God's direction that you can't see him. You can't see him anyway. Hello? But if you have spiritual eyesight and spiritual hearing, you will hear God talking to you all the time. You will see God all the time. And for those that get to heaven and and God says, well, why didn't you listen? Why didn't you see me? What? Wait, what are you talking about? I couldn't see you. I couldn't hear anything. And then God is going to smile, a wry smile, and he's going to say, there's no excuse. All of nature was declaring me, my authority and my, as my creation. They worshiped me and they did so. The birds, the lightning, the thunderings, the winds, all declaring God's authority. There are scriptures that speak to that. David speaks to that. But you have to remember that God is not going to be booming and thundering all the time. He does. But that's not to draw our attention to his voice. That's to draw his attention of his might and his authority. So that's the perspective, brothers and sisters. But here is importantly, Jesus speaking again, and I'm going to share it again. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all, all, all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. What's he talking about, the enemy? That is Satan that Peter described as wandering around in the bush, roaring like a lion to frighten you. That's what Satan does. He gets you so afraid that he's so powerful and he's so mighty and that he can rip you apart only if you allow it. So, I hear Christians declare these things. I've been robbed of my joy. I've been robbed of my happiness. I've been robbed, I've been robbed, I've been robbed. Rob, rob, rob. Help, help, help. Except the only problem is that they're not seeking the Lord and they're not asking for his help. And in reality, what they're doing is they're holding their hands out and open. And of course, the minions of Satan are going to walk by and they're going to grab this because they see it. They say, if we take it from them, then they're not going to be able to do that. They're going to do whatever they can to thwart you from following the Lord and give up. That is a perspective that Satan wants you to be in, frightened, scared, and giving up. <clears throat> because that gives him more power, it gives him more authority, and he can do more in your lives. And he can take you away from the Lord only if you walk away. And speaking of that, I was going to save this for a little bit, but I'm going to go, let me see if I can, 
I'm, I've got things marked. I'm going to go back up here. And I'm going to share with you perspective. Oh, yeah, I'm going to share perspective. Here's one that we have to understand, and you, and you don't get this, is that many don't understand that our Lord God demonstrates every single day to me, because I see it every day, and I understand what I had and where I am, and that God is great, God is good, and God is faithful. And his grace saved me. Every day, he's graciously walking beside me every single day. His Holy Spirit guides me, teaches me, and tells me that these words that I share are truth and that it's reasonable and it's good and that I should. So, that's why many times you'll hear me say, I don't care. And I don't say it in a... in a mean, vicious, or nasty way, I'm telling you I don't care because my validation doesn't come from you or anyone else in Mammon. My validation comes from the chancellor of my university, and my university is HSU, Heaven Sent University. My chancellor is the Lord God Almighty. The word that I share is Jesus, and the vice chancellor, or whatever they do call him here on this planet, the Holy Spirit guiding and teaching me. He's one of he's my counselor. He's my teacher. He's a he's the head of the school. He's the uh, authority and counsel. However you want to describe it, it doesn't make any difference because the truth be told is that is my authority to speak the way I do, and the reason why I will keep speaking the way I do. Because I care only for the validation that I receive from the Lord God Almighty and that he allows me to do this thing. So your validation, <clears throat> quite honestly, doesn't matter. And the grace of God is, was spoken to Abraham. In Genesis 24, verse 1, And Abraham was old and well stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. God and Abraham <clears throat> had a relationship and God blessed him and blessed him mightily and then some. This is the way God operates to those that believe and share and follow him. He blesses and then some. But there are those that will alter their perspective because they have to go through trials and things like that. Well, if I was loved so much by God, why does this happen? Why does that happen? Oh, boy, we're, 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 what does it mean? And when they stood before the Red Sea and they were nervous and upset about what was going on and the Egyptians were following them, And this was a perspective that they had. They were out there, and this was um, actually one of the first whining, crying, whimpering, sniveling complaints they had. And they were complaining because they were... And I'm going to go to... Exodus chapter 14 in the matter of the whiners, criers perspective. And there are many Christians that do this same thing. Hear me what I tell you. It is the truth in the word of God. And if you fall into this category, then put those sandals on and wear them as they pinch against your feet. And if it doesn't apply to you, then quit your whining, griping, and whimpering about what I'm sharing and let it go. Like my earthly mother used to say, if the shoe fits, wear it. If it doesn't apply, then don't get your knickers in a twist and have a big old knotted bunch that gets you uncomfortable. If it doesn't apply to you, then just let it go. And if it does, then think about it and talk to God about it. Don't complain to other peoples about it. Talk to God. Humbly present yourself boldly before Lord God and say, Father, this bothers me, and I need guidance. And in this, <clears throat> when the children of Israel left Egypt, we're going to go to 
chapter 14, verse 9. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, and his horsemen and his army overtook them in camping by the sea beside Peheroth, before Basilphon. because he didn't quite know what to do. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and beheld the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid, and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. Wah, 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 oh Lord, wah, wah, wah. I wasn't crying out in in uh, belief or faith. or They were just crying, whining. And they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, has thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is it not this word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness." The Lord God told them he would deliver them and take them to a promised land and that they were not to be bond slaves and dying in slavery, actually, in Egypt. <sighs> Perspective. See, when Joseph brought the people from, and they lived in uh, the land that was shared with them by the Pharaoh who was Pharaoh at that time, who lived a very long time, and Israel actually left. But then the, the Pharaoh that came after was listening to his counselors and the white noise interference and believed that Israel would rise up and destroy them and take over Egypt. And so they put them into bond slavery. That was really hard labor. And they fed them miserably so that they would be weakened and that they would be constantly tired and begin. And they, they whipped them constantly, whipped them constantly. And this is when Moses rode up and be, rose up because he couldn't stand it. And he choked one of the overseers, overlords to death because he was beating these two men and beating them terribly. And this is what they did. And this is what they said that we would be better off than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Basically, Moses was being very polite in what he was telling them. Shut your holes, quit your wanking, quit your whining, quit your crying. God said, and he told us, and he said this through me when we were leaving, that he is going to be with us. Do not fear, for he is our Lord God. He is our Hashem. Hashem. Lord God Almighty. He is Abba Yahweh. Of course, they weren't allowed to call him that because he hadn't given them permission yet. So everyone in succession down were declaring that that was too powerful a word and too holy a word and they couldn't use it. But only the head priests could do so. Anyway. And the next point of perspective that we have, we can find in numbers. And that Moses directed. Oh, let's, let's digress back to the Red Sea, incidentally. So the Red Sea was parted, not just pushed back a little bit so they could get through and it was shallow to walk through. God mounted up the wall of water on both sides of the number of Israel. And uh, just so you know, the number that had marched out of Egypt and was also not just the nation of Israel that were being held, but there were others that joined them as well. 
and their number put them over 600,000 and then some. The exact number I found it um, in reading yesterday, 600,000, 6,500 and something was the number of men, women, and children that walked out of Egypt. That's a pretty large number. And he didn't just push the water back to uh, allow them to walk through the shallows. He parted the Red Sea. You have to understand what that word means. He parted, which means that each part of the ocean was pushed back and separate from the other. So it wasn't just a shallowing of the water that God created to allow them to walk through knee-deep, ankle-deep, whatever. He parted the Red Sea. It separated and stood apart and separate from the other part, which was standing and apart. They walked through on dry land. Their feet were not wet. Their clothing was not wet. This is why sometimes you see these Hippocrywood um, depictions and it shows the nation of Israel and the, uh, it was shallow water. Or they're walking through and they're wet. The scripture says they walked through with dry feet. So the depiction of Hippocrywood is according to what they're doing and their perception. Oh, God couldn't have done that, so we'll just make it shallow water. That's not what the Bible says. And if they make shallow water, then that means that he did not part the Red Sea. He just shallowed the Red Sea. There's a difference. The, the water's still together. The Bible says that he parted. So the other perception I shared in part with you is that when Moses sent the spies in to Canaan, which he was told to do, spy it out, and they bring back word of what I have provided which was the intention. But then what did they do? They came back. And they came back with a negative report. Two did. Or two, Joseph and Caleb believed the truth and the word of God said, come on, let's go. Let's go do this thing. God said he'll deliver it. But then the other 10, they decided that they couldn't do it. That God couldn't do it. That God couldn't possibly have meant to fight the giants. Couldn't possibly have meant that. And what did they say? We saw ourselves as grasshoppers. We were as grasshoppers to them. They would smash us and destroy us. You have to understand that these were the family of Goliath. And Goliath, when he faced David, this teenage boy who smacked him with a stone from a slingshot because he had faith in God and God told him that it would happen and that he would win the day, which he did. Goliath was over nine feet tall. Who's that Chinese guy who at one time was the tallest professional basketball player? Uh, Yao or Yo or whatever. Can't remember what it was. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, Yao. Big, tall guy. He was, he was well over seven feet four, seven feet five, seven feet six, something. He was tall. But... Here you have Goliath, who was two feet, a full two feet more, I think nine feet and some inches. He was a full two feet more above this guy. And there are pictures of Yao with, with fans in the stands, and some of them are not small, but they barely come up to his armpits. So you have to get this perception of Goliath at over nine feet, nine feet and some inches. If you do the cubic calculations the way it says in the Bible, he is nine feet five, I believe. I'll have to redo them. And these were the people that were seen in Hebron, which was in the land that God promised them. So, yeah, they were some small guys, but they saw themselves that way and they perceived that the power of God did not include these giants, except that it did. But then, see, 
later, Caleb came back and his perception was that God is mighty and he did not give up his faith. He did not give up the belief and he did not feed into the white noise interference that came to him, I'm certain. At 85 years old, Caleb went to Joshua and said, give me the blessing because I am tired of letting these giants be in the land that God told me that I could possess and that would be for my tribe. And Joshua said, yeah, okay, Caleb, you're, you're my brother. I love you. Let's talk to God. And they talked to God. At 85 years old, Caleb took his warriors and his men who were from his tribe and he walked into Hebron and he whooped up on the giants and destroyed their army and kicked them out of the land that was promised of him from God. He didn't give up on the promise. He didn't give up on that. Just like God does not give up on us and that he is faithful, gracious and faithful. Great is his faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord God, unto me. Thank you, Father. And he went in there. Why? Because his perspective was that God promises. And we also have to understand that we're justified by faith. As it's Romans 5. <clears throat> this is even before our adoption letter in Romans 8. Being justified of faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But many are buying into this white noise interference of the devil. And if we do something that God's not going to listen to us anymore, God's not going to, doesn't want us reading his book. He doesn't want us talking to him and he doesn't want us going to his house because we did this and we did that. Are you going to believe the lies? Here's something that you have to understand. This is noise, interference, and pure light. Lies. Satan is a liar, a deceiver, a destroyer, an accuser, a condemner. And he wants that you believe those lies and that you give up on your walk with the Lord and your faith and you believe what he tells you. What you should be doing is believing what the word of God tells you because that is truth, knowledge, and wisdom and that we are saved by grace, not by our works. And Satan tries to get you to perceive that way. Because if we're if we are saved by our works and not by grace, then what some of Satan declares is true. You failed. You can't do it by working anymore. Look, you failed at that. God doesn't want to talk to you. God's certainly not going to keep you safe. Of course he's going to keep us safe because that's what he promises you. The truth is that we are saved by grace. And by that grace in our salvation, then we are to do the good works, but not to get our salvation because it doesn't work that way. The Bible says it does not work that way. You can be goodly, you can be doing all these nice things, and there are people that walk around now and say, well, what about them? They're such philanthropists. They do this good and they do that good. The reality is that they're not really that good. Kick the cat in the backyard every chance they get. They take the puppy out and they tie it around a tree while they're out talking on the cell phone and they're not such good and they ignore these things that are not just animals. They are a creation of God. But they treat them miserably because something didn't quite go right in a deal that they had going on and they weren't going to make another $100 million for the year. So they get ticked off and they kick the dog, they kick the cat, they scream at the wife, they holler at the children, they send them to the room to have dinner in their room and not have dinner at the dinner table. And then... Whomever, whether it's the wife or the father that's uh, doing the breadwinning, and then they take off and go somewhere because they don't even want to be around anymore, and boom, off they go. So the perception that you might have on some of these people, they might appear to be good. It's called a photo-opportunistic individual. When people are looking, when people are taking pictures, and when they're out there, they get their picture taken, they get a lot of attention up there, but in private... They are actually very mean, nasty individuals. I've actually seen some people that way. Close encounters. And I'm glad that 
I didn't have an encounter because I might have said something rude. But out there when people are snapping pictures and taking pictures, they're all smiling, they're looking at the camera and they put their hand on the person's shoulder. But if you look at the photo, they don't pull them in and draw them in and they're not genuine, they're ingenuine, they're acting. Ingenues, they in French call them ingenues, actors and actresses. And then when they, the photos are done or they think they're done, they kind of take their hand off and I've actually seen them wipe their hand with a towel. It's what, you put your arm around somebody's shoulder now you got to wipe your hands off with a sanitary napkin or you think that you're wiping something off. And then I've, as they walk away, they're muttering, God, such idiots. <laughs> what is that? Is that really? No, that's not, that's a feigned good work. It's not even truth. Good works are not what get us saved. Our salvation is what draws us into good works. Romans 5. By whom also, uh, continue reading it in verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope and glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which are given, is given unto us. But God commend, commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it's not our good works that get us saved. It is the grace of God that gets us saved. And remember, brothers and sisters, that we are in a spiritual warfare. And that that spiritual warfare is true. But God keeps it out of our sight because it's frightening. It's a scary thing to be there. It's frightening. It's worse than horror, story, horror pictures, sci-fi movies you might see from Hippocrywood. So we have to remember, too, that we will find... that our perspective is very important. As that we not be worried. And we have the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. And that is promised that it will keep our hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. And Satan attacks to get our perspective changed because he knows that our minds are the weakest point of attack. And any good warrior, an enemy, will attack the weakest link. And it doesn't matter what your intellectual prowess may be, the weakest point of attack in all is the mind. So you have a blessed day. Be in the word. Seek the word. Don't allow Satan's white noise interference to alter your perspective and faith in God. And that's what his determination is.